and been looking forward to our study tonight. I say night, it's five. I, I guess that's close enough to evening. It's really, I guess, technically still the afternoon, but it's a beautiful time of day and, and glad that you've decided to be a part of our study. There are two studies going on. There's this class that's dealing with the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then over in the Annex, there's a study of the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You may choose either of those, but I'm just going to say, if you're, you're going to switch, you better do it quick, because we're moving on into these studies. In this class, we've already been through some introductory materials from the book of Genesis, and tonight... My plan is to start some of that for the book of Exodus. These books are so large, the study is immense, but actually what I'm expecting us to do is a little different from maybe a normal Bible study in that I'm wanting to, to prep you for the study of the book itself. You're responsible for spending the time reading the books. So as we were going through Genesis, I'm just trying to give you some, some highlights and things to look for as you read through the book. And the same is going to be true with the book of Exodus. And tonight we're going to talk about the message that we find in the book and then the purpose of the book. And we'll divide it like we did with Genesis. We'll look at the historical, the doctrinal, spiritual, and the Christological or Christ-centered purpose. All of that is just to help us as we get into the books and we read it and to give kind of a, a perspective of what's happening in the, those books. So it'll be more meaningful to us. I want to sing a song before we start, number 514. And then also tonight we're going to do something a little different from what we maybe have been doing uh, at the end. And if I forget this, somebody somebody raise your hand or whatever but we're gonna uh, offer an opportunity for anybody who needs to respond to the lord's invitation we'll do that and then also the lord's supper we will offer that at at the end as well okay 514 we'll sing the, the first and the how about the first and second doesn't that just shake it up like crazy? We usually go first and last, I think. Let's go first and second. Reading our love to proclaim that it's written by the blood of the Lamb. Reading through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I
All right, let's pray. Started. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessing of today. We thank you for the opportunity that we've already had to be able to assemble and to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with us tonight as we talk about another one of your matchless books. And we pray, Lord, that the things that we find here will be beneficial to us as we're trying to grow in our knowledge of your word. Lord, help me to identify some things that'll be helpful to all of us as we are studying through these books that we can find the meaning there for us that you intend. I mean, you've directed us uh, in our relationship with Jesus to go back to these books and to find the hope that is in them with meekness and fear. And Lord, I just pray you'll, you'll help that to become a reality to us and help us on the basis of the things that we see here to better understand our relationship with Jesus and all that you have done to make our salvation possible, especially in regard to what we just sang about the matter of redemption. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you'll, you'll help me to communicate that. And uh, thank you for the blessing that we can all find as we try to make these things a part of our own knowledge and and to write them on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to study the book, the second of these books, Exodus. And, and I will just say in the beginning, as much as I emphasized how the book of Genesis serves as kind of a, a platform, a launching point for many of the doctrines that are expressed later in the Bible, and not necessarily giving the details of it, but becoming just an origination place. Just as much as Genesis fulfills its title in being the origin of many things, the starting place of many teachings that you find filled out in the rest of the scriptures. So the book of Exodus is also a pivotal book of the Bible. I won't just say that it's a pivotal book of the Old Testament, although it's in the Old Testament, but it's pivotal also for New Testament in what I tried to express in our prayer. And that is a lot of the things that you find in the book of Exodus find their fulfillment, find their ultimate realization in Jesus or the things related to Jesus. And in particular, our deliverance from sin, our redemption, the shedding of blood, and so forth. I love how this book emphasizes for us and is itself a beginning place as it truly separates or segregates from everybody else the nation of Israel. Now, I, I, I wanted... I guess, initially just to express that concept. But then I realized, now, wait a minute. There's a New Testament connection there. Because everything we find that makes Israel special as a people 
are also things that make us special as a people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, you find that. And I know you have your Bibles ready because you know I want you reading these scriptures. So anybody have 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10? Quick! Oh, it's good to have the Bible at the ready. And it's good to hear the pages turning. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. Who has that scripture? You are a chosen generation. Now, you know what? If I were going to give a synopsis of the book of Exodus, it would be just that. God speaking to Israel. You could appropriate a New Testament text to talk about Israel as they are described here in the book of Exodus. You, Israel, right? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You were not, now you are. You were nobody except that God in his infinite wisdom and knowledge and his plan called out Abraham. And Abraham, as we saw expressed in his history, through his genealogy, through the seed promise, ultimately fathers Isaac and then Isaac, Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel and Israel, the father of the tribes of Israel. And ultimately we find them in great preservation in the nation of Egypt, God seeing to their continued lines. And now in the book of Exodus, we wake up and here we are again. God is preserving his people just as much as you and I and the church are God's special people. We can look to the book of Exodus and just relish the fact that as God took care of them, with great detail and wow, magnifying his own greatness in the deliverance of those people from an unimaginable captor. So too we can relish the fact that Jesus Christ in his blood has also redeemed us and saved us and made us this great nation. I just, my mind is kind of blown in the way that God takes these systems that he established and he just smears them all throughout history. And now you and I are that chosen generation, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, his own special people. This book also emphasizes the matter of covenant. Now we talked about covenant some in the book of Genesis. We talked about the covenant, the Edenic covenant that was established that no one was to eat 
the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that they ate it, they would surely die. And we saw how all of that transpired. We saw the Adamic covenant that was established with Adam and Eve and the promise of the seed coming, Genesis 3 and verse 15. We saw the promise of Noah uh, as not only is he preserved when he enters into that ark, but also in chapter 9, God's promise with regard to the rainbow, that that rainbow, when we see it, reminds us that God would never again destroy the earth with a flood. God's promise to all, not just of humankind, but of every kind, to, the, to everything that lives on the planet, God makes that promise and establishes it with the rainbow. And then the Abrahamic covenant that we saw, the seed promise, that ultimately was a promise made to Abraham and his seed. But we noticed that that word seed was singular. So Galatians chapter 3 kind of fills in the blanks that that one that we're talking about, verse 16, is none other than the Christ himself. So everything that is happening as we enter into the book of Exodus is having to do with covenant. Now, there's a special feature related to covenant that you draw out of this book, and that is not only is God making a, what, a historic covenant that's going to go through in order to bring about the promise of the seed with Jesus Christ, but he's going to set these people apart as a nation. He had already promised that that was going to be, so when he sets them apart as a nation, He's going to also have to provide for them some, some guideline, you know, some direction. A nation is identified by its system of laws. So God is going to provide them with a system of laws that's going to govern them. Sometimes we think about it as a spiritual consideration, but that really wasn't the attempt of God. God's, God's main application of that law was to establish them as a nation of people governed by laws. And in, in the original outset, God's further intention was that he himself was going to be their king. This was going to be a theocratic society, a society governed and ruled by God himself. Now, yes? Instead of, we'll say him being his chosen people, the church is the church. Absolutely, yes. And that's the result of the seed promise, right? I've never known exactly how that means. Okay, and, and we actually, we, we tailed off with this idea last time, but the whole thing is the promise is vested in Abraham and it's also vested in his seed, the one seed, Christ. For me to become a part of that promise means that I have to be where in order to benefit from the promise. I have to be in the seed, right? I have to be in Christ. In fact, Galatians chapter three, when it finishes says, and you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How did we become Abraham's seed? For as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We put on Christ. So when we put Christ on or we enter into Jesus Christ, we become a part of that seed promise. And think about that. Is that a big deal? That's not like an afterthought, right? 
That is something that God brought to bear from the very beginning. And in fact, if you want to want to really get into it, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Because every spiritual blessing that exists is found where? In Christ. So he goes on in that text, that's not our purview, but he goes on in that text to tell us that these plans that God made related to being in Christ were established before the foundation of the world. Let your mind try to wrap around to that. So is God a good covenant keeper? <laughs> wow, is he ever. I mean, nothing gets in the way of God fulfilling his promises to his people. Now, here's an interesting little thing, and let's, let's see if I can... Let's see if I can get the word out. The word, it's a Hebrew word. The word is we'ela shemoth. Anybody know what that word means? We'ela shemoth. Now, if, you, if you're a Hebrew speaking person, you're going, huh? <laughs> That's my southern slang <laughs> on, that, on that Hebrew word. It's about the best I can do. Uh, you, you can know the definition of that word. It's actually, can somebody read for us the first five words of the book of Exodus? Okay, you can stop. That is way more than five. <laughs> Oh, no, we get carried away, don't we? <laughs> okay, so, so, all right. <laughs> no, <laughs> I said, we Ella Shemoth. <laughs> okay, so, now these are the names. Now these are the names. Now, first, now, uh, actually, the word that I gave you in Hebrew was, <laughs> with my southern accent, is actually the first word out of the book of Exodus. You remember what I said about Genesis? How did the Hebrews name Genesis? The opening words of the text, right? You remember that? Okay, so same, same is true here with the book of Exodus, as is also going to be true with the others. So when we get to Numbers, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and I ask you for the title, you just read out that first little phrase and you'll have it, okay? So here is the, here is the name of the book, but man, again, I see so much that's happening just in these few, few little words. For instance, the word now, that's how he starts this book. When you see a book start with now, these are the names, uh, okay, when you see that, what does that immediately cause you to think? Let me ask you that. Does it cause you to think that this might be a continuation of the original story? Just nod your head this way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's, it's kind of like now these are the names. When we, when we ended last time, what happened at the end of the book of Genesis? Okay, uh, uh, Joseph's, Joseph's end, right? We end up right there in Egypt. 
no, Joseph is so, so convinced of the promise of God that he makes provision that if they ever leave there, which he knows that they will because God's made a land promise too, if they ever leave Egypt, carry my bones with you. So the last, last thing that we had in the book of Genesis was Joseph and, and the whole family, they're safe right there in Egypt. And how are things? Things are terrific. And now he says, these are the names. In other words, some time has passed, but I want you to know that this plan is still going. This is just a continuation of what we left off with. So as we go now, here are the names of the people that we have at this juncture as we kind of skipped ahead. What's interesting about that is now these are the names. Names is plural, which is indicating what has happened in the intervening period. They've been growing, right? They've been growing. And then as Marilyn was anxious to do, just going to rattle off all those names and the interested parties. But I just, I just want to draw us back to this idea of the establishment of God's plan. He is saying not just that here are the people, but this is a continuation of the unfolding of the plan of God. This is just the next step or the next phase in what God is going to do. Now, do you remember Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2? What did that text say? God was going to make them a what? A great nation. There you go. You didn't even have to look it up, did you? You already have that in your memory bank. Okay, so Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God, among other promises that he made, said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, to be a great nation, you're going to need more than what had trailed off there at the end of Genesis, right? Because basically, basically, we've just got, we call them the 12 tribes, but we basically, at that point, got the 12 families, <laughs> okay? This is hardly a nation. But in Egypt, over the prevailing time, this family has now grown into an immense collection of people descended from Abraham. The continuing fulfillment of the plan of God. God promised they would be a great nation, and absolutely they were becoming a great nation. Not only was God establishing them in terms of family, but God was also, you remember uh, Genesis chapter 17, the second of those promises that God had made to Abraham, not only did he talk about his seed and his physical descendancy as in children after him in generations, the expectation of lots and lots of people, a number that is so great it's greater than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. He also made a land promise. Now, at this point here in the book of Exodus, we don't need to talk about the land promise because are they even in the territory that God's promised to give them? Shake your head this way. No, they're in Egypt, okay? But God is going to fulfill that. In fact, you would, in order to get a, a, a straight statement about that, and someone can read this for us if you like, kind of the continuation of remembering the plans of God, is Joshua chapter 21. In that text, you have the revealing of God's certainty related to the land promise. Um, 
Who would like to read that for us? Um, let's see, Joshua. Yeah, Joshua 21, verses 43 to 45. Joshua 21, verses 43 to 45. Okay, I heard in a short little text at least three or four different times where God said, I did it. I did it. Uh, no doubt about it, they have received the land promise. They have all the land that I promised to give them. They have it. It's in their possession. Did God give them the land or not? Yes, he did. Now, later you say, well, now, wait a second, Ken. You know, there's, there's lots of statements also about how that they had failed to take possession of land and how that these foreign nations are a thorn in their side and on and on and on. Whoops. Wait a minute. God is always what? God is always faithful. God said, I'm giving this to you. It is yours. If they don't take it and secure it, whose fault is that? That's theirs, not God's. God says, here you go. Now, if someone comes in, walks in and hands you a pie, and they say, here you go, this is yours. And you say, oh, it's my favorite pie. I just love that. Oh, I can't wait to eat it. But you go home and you don't eat it. Can you come back and say, you never gave me a pie. I never ate not one bite of that. You never gave it to me. Well, is that true? That is not true. I received, I received the pie. So if I didn't eat it, whose fault is that? That's your fault? <laughs> no, that is my fault. Okay, so we have these promises of God that are unfolding we see God's hand as he is multiplying the blessings for his people in order to see the satisfaction of his, of his message and of his purposes. So tonight, I want us to start with the message of the book of Exodus. And I want you to realize, that you'll now know why I chose redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You just sang that right along, and that's a great old hymn. When I sing it, I'm thinking about redeemed by the blood of what lamb? By Jesus, exactly right. I'm thinking about the blood that Jesus shed as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1 and verse 29. However, the book of Exodus, if we were going to give it a theme... Most likely what we would say is the theme of the book of Exodus is actually that very subject, the matter of redemption. So I'm thinking about being redeemed by blood. How would that apply to the book of Exodus? Because here's the scenario. The, the people of God, the people of promise are within the confines of what is considered at that time the greatest nation on earth. Okay? So let's think about that. We have the greatest nation on earth in Egypt, most technologically advanced, 
uh, feared by every other nation. And then within that, in the territory known as Goshen, we have God's chosen people. What then, in effect, in comparison, and even in comparison with other nations, would be the least of all nations on earth at the time. In fact, these people don't even have yet a governing body. They, they don't have the law yet. They don't have anybody to lead them. They're just a people of promise, just kind of like the, the hope that's found within a seed. But they have become a subjugated group of people. So you've got the greatest nation on earth and effectively the weakest, least nation on earth. Eventually, you're going to have a conflict that exists between the greatest leader on earth, Pharaoh, whose word in that time was well nigh to the acceptance of the word. Most people thought the word of a God. They considered him to be a God. He considered himself to be a God. His, his word was the bottom line. And then in comparison to him, you have a man by the name of Moses who actually comes into his leadership position at what age? 80. Okay, so he's raised up in the household of Pharaoh. Ultimately, when he gets to be about 40 years of age, he decides he's the deliverer of Israel, and he just begins to act, and he actually kills an Egyptian. He thinks everybody's going to follow him, and what happens? Not so much. <laughs> In fact, now, oh no, I have not motivated a rebellion. Th these people, they, they don't even know me. You know, They're like, who are these people? Oh no, I'm so embarrassed. And so he, he leaves there and he goes out into the land that ultimately would be the land of great wandering. The very land that he would lead those people around in for 40 years is the land that he went into exile with. And he was there for 40 years. And what, did he do, what had he done for those 40 years? He kept sheep. Okay. Now I'm taking it that, you know, it's a, it's a humbling thing for sure. It is it is an opportunity to learn how to lead. <laughs> you're, you're leading sheep and caring for them. And, and effectively, doesn't he? he? He basically becomes a shepherd for the people of Israel. That, that's what he essentially becomes. And so Moses is in training in a wilderness situation. But at 80 years of age, isn't that man just ready to go in there and take the reins of leadership? Again, not so much. In fact, when, when this opportunity is posed to him, what does he say about himself? I, I'm no speaker. You know, I'm no leader. I, comes up with all kinds of excuses. And so God answers that excuse by posing that Aaron can become his, his, his vocal um, um, Point. He can become the speaker for Moses and all that. And, and that setup doesn't last for very long, right? Moses finally finds his stride and becomes the leader that we all knew that he would be. But keep in mind now, you've got Pharaoh, who is well nigh considered a god. And then you've got Moses, who's 80 years of age. Now, by this time, by the way, 80 is pretty much 
80. <laughs> okay, you're thinking in the book of Genesis when people lived to be 900 years of age. That, that's not this. Uh, we are after the flood and longevity is very much similar to what we've got now. Now, he, he lives, you know, nearly, nearly another 40 years as he leads those people in that wilderness wandering, but not quite. So he does live to be a, a ripe old age, but I, I just want to make the point He's 80 years old. He probably feels, as, even though he's very strong and, and, and virile at this time still, he is a man that is aged. Here is the greatest leader on earth. Here is Moses, who's just, you know, come out of exile. Nobody remembers who this guy is. He just quietly assumes his place. He has to convince the people by miracles that he's actually God's chosen man. I mean, people, they're like, uh, I don't know. Huh. Okay. Not quick to sign on simply because you've got these great contrasts. But what is God going to do? God is going to take the man who is, for all intents and purposes, from outside observation, the least capable to become the man who shows up the greatest figure of leadership in the world and taking a nation that is, is, is just a sojourner, a pilgrim in the greatest nation on earth and is going to establish them with laws and to become a feared group of people as they go about that wilderness wandering. Now, our theme is redemption. You know what they're going to be. But right now, as, as we're reading through the book of Exodus, what we are seeing is God going from zero to a hundred, right? God is going from what is essentially a situation of despair and hopelessness to a position of victory and freedom from their oppressor. So if you were going to define what redemption is and, and thinking about that scenario and then making I guess it's application to us and our redemption through the blood that we talked about, kind of keyed from the psalm that we sang and thinking about Jesus shedding his blood. How would you define what redemption actually is? What does it mean to be redeemed? Okay. Uh, okay. Set free. I have freedom because someone has, has paid the price for me. Someone has, I am enslaved, in our case, enslaved to sin. In their case, enslaved to Egypt. Someone has paid the price for my freedom. In our case, it is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But what is it that is ultimately going to free the children of Israel from their Egyptian bondage? And I think this is a beautiful picture too. Now you know that there are eventually how many plagues? There are 10. Nine of them have happened and, and where are we now? Are we on our way to Mount Sinai? Shake your head this way. No, we are not. What is it that's going to result in the freedom of these people? What is going to redeem them? It's going to be the blood of the lamb. 
Because ultimately that last plague is the death of the firstborn. And that's going to strike the entire, the entire um, span of Egypt. Every family is going to be affected. And even the Israelites were under the same promise. Except that if they would take the blood of that lamb and do what with it? Put it on the doorpost and the, okay, the mantle, the, the lintel, to basically encompass the entire entryway with that blood. Then when death ensues, what's going to happen to those who are inside that place of protection? I'm going to pass over you. I'm going to pass over you. Okay, now stop for a second. Let's string some things together. When Noah heard that there was going to be a flood and God said, here's, here's the preservation for anyone uh, who will listen. If you will build this ark and get in that ark, you'll be saved. How many people were saved in that ark? Okay, eight souls. Why were those souls saved in that ark? Okay, they believed it and then they, they obeyed it. They got in the ark. And when God shut that door, could you just come up and say, Hey, Noah, I know you spent a lot of money building this boat, and I sure would like to have my family. Hey, I got a little something extra for you here if you let us in. Did that happen? No. If you were not in that place of protection, what happened to you? You died. You died. In fact, uh, one of the great stories of 1 Corinthians is the whole notion that those people were saved by, guess what? By water, by water, okay? They were preserved in that ark. The water did what? Didn't kill them. It, it preserved them by their entrance into that ark. Okay, carried to the book of Exodus. Uh, we are enslaved. Uh, how are we going to be freed? The very last of those things is freedom through the protection that's found in the home that is covered with the blood, okay? Now, carry to us. Uh, how will you be saved? Well, you're going to be saved essentially the same way. That's, that's why I said that the connection that you find between, for instance, the book of Exodus and its, its story of redemption, of the buying of those slaves, in effect, through the blood that is shed and the protection that is made, and the great leader of Egypt freeing all those people simply in response to the action of God and fulfilling of his promise that if you're not in a protected house, you're going to die. So too we. Look, people say, well, so-and-so, they're, they're, you know, they're a good person. They're a, they're a real better neighbor than I am. So, you know, if it were a matter of merit to be saved, then there would be a lot of people saved just because they're good people. Is that how we're saved? It, it has nothing, listen, it has nothing to do with how good we are or how impressive we are to God. What matters is whether we have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, which, oh, by the way, results in us being in, well, we're in Christ, but when we're in Christ, what does Christ do to us? He adds us to the church. And the church has become that you know, kind of like that ark of protection for us. It has become that place of safety. The book of Exodus theme, its, its message for us is a message of 
redemption and salvation. When I see God in this book, now what's kind of interesting is like in the book of Genesis and then also in Leviticus, some in Numbers and some in Deuteronomy, God is, God is relatively, relatively quiet. In the book of Exodus, God is at the forefront because God is taking control of the circumstances of the world. He is taking control of the powers of men so that a man who thinks he is like a God is humbled and he takes control of the greatest nation on earth so that that one nation which has been subjugated can rise up and fulfill the promises that God had made on its, on its behalf. Okay, so we're going to stop here and next time we'll, we'll talk about the purposes of this book, which I mentioned you are historical, they're doctrinal, they're Christological. And then we'll also do like we did last time. We'll look at some uh, pretty significant things that are happening in the book and draw some parallels to our Christian life. Now, uh, the elders recognized that there was kind of a, a gap existing. For instance, on Sunday mornings, you know, we have two services. At the conclusion of those services, we offer an invitation. Today, we were talking about repentance, and we had a response. And as a body, we were able to deal with that. Unfortunately, as a result of some of the Bible classes, and, you know, we, we get apart from one another, somehow or other, in, in ways, that opportunity was lost. So we realized, wait a minute, it's basically like one time a week, we have a public, at least, opportunity to respond if we need to. That does not discount the fact that, you know, you can call one of the elders day or night. Is that true, elders? You can call day or night. We'll be happy to talk with you and pray with you. Myself included. Look, you want to talk? You need to get something off your chest. You need prayers. I'm happy to do that. Uh, Sister Becky Kendrick, uh, this past week, uh, came to the office, had something on her heart, wanted to share. And we prayed together, and uh, we're confident that God forgave her. And I insisted that this congregation that loves her also forgives her. Uh, Ethan came forward this morning, and the most precious thing ever... And we, as a body, we were there. And we want to continue that. So even at the close of, of a Bible class, which in, in many ways is a little bit, I don't know, not as formal still, we want to offer an opportunity for anybody who needs to respond. Either it is that you think about what we talked about this morning, repentance, and, and you need to repent of something. And just as it was true this morning, so it's true this evening, uh, we'll pray with you. And if you have that repentant spirit, God knows it. And we certainly are forgiving. And we'll pray with you and do our very best to be a support to you. Or maybe it's the idea that we've been talking about tonight. The, the whole notion of redemption and being saved and being in Christ. And salvation only being a factor related to being in Christ and being part of the seed. And having nothing to do with just how good I am, but everything to do with my faith and obedience 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ, of having my sins washed away by his blood. Maybe you haven't done that. If there's anybody who needs to respond tonight, we're going to sing another verse of this song, the third verse of 514, Redeemed. We'll sing the third verse. If you need to respond, you come forward and we'll pray with you and take, uh, take uh, your statement. Number 514. Let's, let's stand together as we sing this song. I know I shall see in his beauty the hidden lights in light who lovingly guided my footsteps and gave me songs in the night. Redeem, redeem, redeem my love, the blood of Lamb. Well, again, thank you all so much for being here tonight. Now, another thing that we want to offer is the Lord's Supper. So if you are not able to partake of the Lord's Supper, I would encourage you, you go ahead and exit now to the chapel. And Jim is going to have a, a service with you to observe the Lord's Supper. We just want to make our services as convenient as we can for folks. I would refer you to the bulletin for all of the pertinent announcements and let's be in prayer for those who are sick. There is an event in the morning for those who are in the golden circle at 8.15. Be here in front of the annex to board the bus to go eat breakfast. And I will tell you, you can ask Elaine if this is true or not. If you're not there at 8.15, those wheels are gonna start rolling. And then you'll just have to drive yourself. It's not that far, but it's a little embarrassing. And you see how I've worn Elaine out with this, so don't let that be you. All right, let's have a prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings today. And thank you for the time that we can spend just discussing uh, your word. And I pray that what we have to say is a real benefit to us and, and strengthens our faith and helps us to be more aware of what you have done to save us, to make our, our salvation possible, to, to be with you. Lord, we do have a lot of people who are sick and we're praying for their recovery, if it's your will. And certainly, Father, if, if some of these have come to the end of the way, we're we're praying that you'll motivate us to reach out, to encourage and be a support to them in their difficult times. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless us as we go from this place. Keep us safe through the evening. And if you'll grant us a new day, I pray, Lord, that we'll use it to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.